0: Mm -hmm. Greetings, everyone. This is Iapomoyandangina, also known as Cassandra Floyd, also known as the rogue black girl. And so we're going to try this again. Hopefully you can hear me. Um, So if you're joining me, then you are joining me for the reading of The Great Cosmic Mother, Rediscovering the Religion of the Earth by Monica Zhu and Barbara Moore. So I've been reading this book for a couple of months now. Um, The chapters are getting a little longer, so we're going to be reading fewer chapters per reading. I want to try to keep these readings down to an hour. Today we'll be reading chapters 34 through 37 and uh, closing out the section on women's culture and religion in Neolithic times. So we will begin with chapter 34. The original woman, witch, rebel, Midwife and healer. What would it have been like if patriarchy had never happened? Um, If patriarchy had never happened. To get an idea, we have to comprehend the first law of matriarchy. Women control our bodies. This would seem a basic premise of any fully evolved human culture which is why primate patriarchy is based on its denial. Children were generally welcome in the matrifocal society as there was enough food for all and children could help in agricultural and craft work. When childbearing is not a punishment, but self-chosen, and when raising children is not an economic survival disaster, most of us enjoy being around children. Men do too. In pre-patriarchal cultures, children were raised communally, not closed up within four nuclear walls, not as property, but as the fruit of all. Most of all, childbearing and child raising were a part of each woman's life, a nourishing as well as nurturing part, but not her whole life. When women control our bodies, our daily lives, our environment, and our goals, we don't inflict on ourselves the terrible split between motherhood and self-realization, um, and self-realization that patriarchy and the nuclear family inflict on us. This split is a cult is a structural one, indigenous to male-dominated environments. In matriarchy, women could be mothers. And also enjoy their energies and their interests. Men who envied women our capacity to bear children and also do other things turned around and invented patriarchy, which in motherhood is structured as an all consuming burden. Men knew they, men knew they could never bear children, but they could try to keep us from doing anything else. But women don't always want children, for a multitude of reasons best determined by women. So, in matristic cultures, there were a number of magic rites and techniques in use that contributed to fertility control. Women also had knowledge of herbal contraceptives and um, abortifacts, as well as narcotics and muscle relaxants like raspberry tea that could ease childbirth. When women are in natural control of our own fertility, population is always kept in practical relation to the needs of the group and the abundance of the environment. That, after all, is what it's all about. Since time immemorial, since the beginning of human time, the arts of gynecology, midwifery, and holistic herbal healing, including birth control, were wholly female domains, guarded by the Neanderthal women, the Cro-Magnon women, the Neolithic women, and priestesses of the great goddess. Contraception and abortion can become illegal only when in patriarchal class society, church and state define, define define it so for their own purposes. And what are their purposes? large populations that drive the wages and the value of labor down. Masses of people kept in ignorance and wretchedness out of which come male cannon fodder and female prostitutes and broodmares to service their wars. Patriarchy is based on cynical male control of Uh, Let's see. Cynical male control of female reproduction. And the resultant ugliness of such a culture is there for all to see. When women practice their own medicine, thus controlling their own bodies, such as such a state could not come into existence. One of the major weapons of patriarchy was the establishment of a closed male medical profession that barred women from practicing their ancient herbal medicine and gynecological skills. In medieval Europe, this elite male male medical profession was the joint creation of the royal courts and the Christian church, which joined together to create the European court state as the political machinery to break the power of the people on the land the peasants, the pagans, the people of the witches. Because women value the quality of life experienced by their children, women throughout history have done what they could do to keep population in balance with the environment. Herbal and and mechanical contraception is one method. Abortion has been another. Tribal women throughout the world nursed their babies for four years. And during this time, might have no sexual relations with a man, using such means to space out children. Tribal women averaged four children in their reproductive lifetimes, each child receiving the maximum of intense maternal, physical and emotional care during those critical early years. No method is ideal, some are extreme, but when contraception and abortion are not practiced, the results are even more extreme, Infanticide, malnutrition, infant starvation deaths, mass, mass famine. No woman making her own choices would deliberately bear children children only to see them starve to death. Among people practicing abortion, even infanticide, the spirit of the dead child was returned to the earth womb to await new birth, partaking still in the substance of the great mother. It was not lost. But the well being of the living group was maintained. Patriarchy rose among cattle breeders. Patriarchy rose among cattle breeders who had discovered the male role in conception. They believed that the entire life force was in the male semen and that the female womb served only as a vessel for the male seed. And that the female, let's see, aunt, let's see, for the female, for the male seed, which was elevated into the father god. So among near Eastern father god religions, the child had value only as proof of male potency and only insofar as it had been given into his ideological power. Catholics and fundamentalist Protestants believe that children dying without baptism in their religions have no souls and no salvation. The unbaptized dead infant remains forever in limbo. In the past, Semitic Semitic, Jewish or Muslim children who died without being named, circumcised or otherwise ritually recognized by the fathers were buried or burnt without ceremony. Those children had, i.e., those children had identity only as the father's property. Today, the Catholic Church maintains that humans, including fetuses, uh, receive life eternally from God the Father. The ten months of biological labor put in into this child by the mother mean absolutely nothing. She was just a vessel. Let's see. She is just a vessel. Pope John Paul VI announced in 1972 that no woman has the right to abortion, even if her life depends on it, even if she has other children who might need her, even if she is a fully grown conscious human being who might desire to live. He was thereby claiming that the fetus always considered potentially male is more sacred than the human mother who bears it within her body. Why? She is only female but the fetus comes from God, the bull stud in the sky. In March of 1984, a pregnant Irish woman in Dundalk died from a a recurrence of cancer, surrounded by Catholic doctors who refused to give her any treatment for for fear of damaging the fetus. At the time of her death, she had tumors on her legs, neck, and spine, but the doctors had refused to x-ray her refused to give her any painkillers refused all treatment absolutely she died 2 days after delivering a, a premature baby who died at birth can we really believe that celibate priests who care so much about the uh, can we really believe that celibate priests care so much about the lives of infants or is it that their true concern is to maintain absolute control over the bodies of women Since it is upon this control that their entire religious foundation is based. Feminists say if men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. Women must understand that because men cannot get pregnant, their next move is to establish patriarchal religion, whose major sacrament is to make childbearing a punishment. A punishment for sex, a punishment for being female. Certainly, Certainly, it was not so in the ancient matriarchies. The earliest, <clears throat> the earliest recorded abortion recipes yet found, uh, let's see, the earliest abortion recipes yet found date from circa 2700 BC. They were inscribed on Egyptian pap- uh, papyrus scrolls. From Egypt come the first known medical texts also. Among them were prescriptions for contraceptive substances meant to be inserted into the vagina. Very likely they knew of temporarily sterilizing herbal potions that, that women could take. After all, the hormone progesterone, now used in the birth control pill, exists naturally in various plants. Today's multibillion-dollar birth control industry was originally built on two yam roots found in Mexico. The Talmudic Jews, Talmudic Tim- Jews, invented the vaginal sponge, which was in use, soaked in oil, until the invention of the Dutch cap by a woman doctor in Holland in the 1880s. Pessary means stone. Original farmers and travelers knew that if a small object like a stone was inserted into the womb of a female camel or other domestic animals, she would not conceive. Native healers on Java traditionally inserted a small object into the wombs of women for the same purposes, the original IUD. In ancient Rome and Greece, vinegar or lemon juice was, were used as acidic spermicides, and one half of a, of a squeezed out lemon was a pretty good cap. Native American women knew plants and root concoctions to take for temporary sterility for abortion as well as childbirth ease all African and worldwide Aboriginal people the same. It would seem that at no time in history have women been so totally oppressed in their sexuality, kept so ignorant of contraceptive methods while forced into compulsory and yearly childbearing, as in the so-called civilized societies of the Christian West. As Dr. Margaret Murray pointed out in the 1930s, Modern ideas of the witch are based entirely on inquisition, trial records of the 16th century, the 16th to the 18th century, when the European Christian church was totally mobilized to crush out the remains of Western paganism. The stereotype was easily reinforced by the European medical professions who saw the witches, who were also the herbal healers and midwives, as economic rivals sound familiar? Before these wholesale purges and repressions, many of the great early European doctors of medicine and pharmacology, like Par- Paracelsus, claimed openly that they had learned all that they knew of healing and drugs directly from women's witchcraft. The Wiccan, quote, or wise woman, practiced the ancient Dianic religion and functioned as midwives and healers to the common people and to the peasantry. Throughout the European countryside, the sage femme was called in at childbirth. These women were highly skilled. It is on record that some could perform cesarean sections with complete success for mother and child. But during the late middle ages, Dominated by the Christian Inquisition, the delivery of a pregnant woman was no longer considered a sacrament, but a dirty business. And the women who attended the poor at childbirth were frequently considered social outcasts or worse. They were charged with witchcraft, tortured and burned. One witch was burned alive in Scotland for the sole crime of bathing some neighborhood children for hygienic reasons in the midst of an epidemic. Healthcare and healing were publicly discouraged by the church, by the Christian church, which officially believed that life was supposed to be diseased, wretched, and painful. This was God's will as punishment for human sin. People who tried to alleviate suffering or cure illnesses, especially through ancient folk and herbal medicine or some, or simple hygiene were suspected to be agents of the devil. In Egypt, circa 3000 BC, both female and male priest doctors had helped women in childbirth. But in medieval Europe, midwifery was considered a crime for men and probably a sign of witchcraft for women. The uh, the witch hunts coincided with the rise of a specialist male medical profession. Medical profession. Subject, let's see. And were, in, and were instigated by celibate monks whose minds were inflamed with the most psychotic sexual hatred of women. During the early Renaissance, medicine claimed to be more scientific, a new male profession subject to government and professional control. Eventually, these male professionals discovered the gold mine of obstetrics. Even midwifery began to be surrounded by educational requirements from which women were excluded. Male midwives appeared in Europe and doctors insisted on being consulted consulted during childbirth. These were the same medical professionals or these were the same professional medics who later demanded that laboring women enter hospital wards and then moved from corpse, let's see, and then moved from corpse autopsies to childbirth beds, spreading infection to women and causing higher mother mortality rates than had ever existed in pagan in pagan Europe. The modern male medical professions rose on the ashes of the burnt witches. Woo! <laughs> come on, come on. These women were vilified in every way that clerical tongue or pen or torture instrument could inflict, and luridly accused of everything, of making men both lustful and impotent, of helping women in labor, and of depopulating Christendom by strangling newborn babies. In 1486, it was officially declared that no one does more harm to the Catholic faith than midwives. And there was truth in this accusation. European women living in wretched poverty and condemned to unending pregnancy by the the church's celibate male priesthood had no greater friends than the sage femmes. These wise women midwives who told them how to prevent prevent contraception, what herbs to use for abortion, and how to ease labor pain, as the church rightly suspected, the midwives also often neglected to properly baptize the newborn into the Christian faith. All this gave women a certain autonomy and control over their own bodies, and this power threatened the power of the male priesthood, the father church, and the father state. Midwives were witches, and witchcraft was high treason against God's nouveau male majesty. The Christian male hierarchy, both Catholic and Protestant, which was developing during this time, was intent on establishing total domination over the innermost thoughts of the European people. The Inquisition was the instrument of this domination. Witches were independent of mind. They were of the people and they served the goddess, the native goddess of Neolithic Europe, not a male god imposed by Roman imperialism. Their covens were correctly suspected to be meeting in places for revolutionary peasants. Joan of Arc was legendarily a member of a witch coven. In every small village or city neighborhood, the witch was the spiritual and political rival of the local priest and the imperial church. She offered real healing through anciently tested herbal knowledge, while the priest could only give slogans promising relief in heaven or punishment in hell. Medieval Christianity taught that this world was the devil's excrement, our flesh, the home of original sin and our lives an evil to be disposed and uh, to be despised and endured. With the church's disruption of the old ways, human life in Europe was indeed becoming quite ugly. Countering this, the witch kept alive the ancient pagan, pagan nature rhythm and cyclic rhythms dances, songs, beliefs, lore, and skills celebrating the sacredness of life and the ecstasy of earth. The people followed the witches who always had better music and more delight. The Hebrew God Yahweh in Genesis 3.16 had condemned Eve for her disobedience. Quote, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow, shall you bring forth children? End quote. And so, according to the church, it should be. The to the male priesthood and celibate monks, women alone was, uh, the woman alone was sexual. Her genitals were fearsome and unclean and childbirth was disgusting and unholy. The Christian clerics Uh, To Christian clerics, the original sin adhered intrinsically to orgasmic experience, to the fact of female genitalia. Children were born dirty as a result of the dirt of sexual conception. Testament, Testament, on the other hand, comes from the Latin testes, testicle male witness. In childbirth, in, child, in the book, Childbirth Without Fear, 1942, Dr. Grantley Dick, Red, uh, Dick Reed <laughs> declares that there can be no more horrible stigma upon our civilization than the history of childbirth. Long after um, anesthetics were medically available as, and as late as the mid-19th century, the clerical and medical authorities opposed any methods that might relieve women's suffering during labor. Women were meant to suffer greatly as God's punishment for our collective sin. Witches were accused and arrested and tortured and burned for the crime of helping women in labor with herbs and muscle relaxing techniques. Such womanly, such womanly help was a dreadful and an impious act against the will of God. As, and as Martin Luther, founder of pro- Protestantism stated, quote, if a woman grows weary and at last dies from childbearing, it matters not. Let her die from bearing. She is there to do it. Oh, 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 baby. Oh. In ancient society and among primitive people still, laboring women sit in a a squatting position, actively in charge of the body's creative work. And The modern West, until yesterday, the Christian tradition of passive suffering prevailed in the labor room. The woman lying on her back, usually strapped down in cruelly impersonal, uh, in cruelly impersonal hospital environments while a male doctor delivered her child. Woman bears the pain, but man takes the credit for deliverance. Oh! Oh, oh, oh! Oh! Shit! Oh my God, yo. Mm-mm. Um. Let's see, but man takes credit for deliverance. We now know that this strapped down legs in stirrups position was the invention of French King Louis, the whatever the fuck that number is, who mandated it throughout his kingdom because he was royally turned on by watching women in labor. Oh my God. With feminism and women's rediscovery of home birth midwifery and drug-free delivery, this situation has in the past uh, in the past decade radically changed. This book was written in 1987. Uh as recently as 1971, midwifery and home birth were virtually illegal and or practically unattainable in almost all American states. Now, women have heroically revived the occupation of the midwife, established comf- uh, comfortable birthing centers, And forced hospitals to compete by offering women more comfort and autonomy in hospital delivery wards. Um, Through midwifery, the home birth, uh, through midwifery and home birth, excuse me, though midwifery and home birth have been common practices in the 20th century and 20th century Western Europe, the American medical profession fought them vigorously, perhaps accounting for the fact that America in the recent in the recent past, has ranked 17th in newborn mortality rates among Western nations. American women's successful fight so far to return return childbirth to mother and child in reversing this statistic and also helping to re-empower women on the most basic level of becoming acquainted with our own bodies. One giant step for womankind. I'm going to plug my phone up really quick. Okay, one giant step, let's see, for womankind. During the time of Catholic-dominated Europe, it was also a crime against God to miscarry. Even if a woman miscarried after an accident or after being beaten by her husband, she could still be put to death for her sin against the father, because all miscarriages were suspected by the clergy of being intentional abortions. The celibate clergy always tended to believe women were guilty until proven dead. When Spanish Catholics colonized the American West, Forcibly missionizing the Western tribes, it was the custom. It was custom. It was the custom for Native American women who miscarried for any reason to be punished by being whipped and publicly humiliated for their sin before the church door. It was believed sometimes correctly that Indian women would practice abortion in order to rob the church of Indian slave labor, and the priests of God could not allow this. The same mentality was practiced against European women. For centuries by the Father Church. Wherever male religious and political systems are based on the control of women's reproduction, women must live like this. According to the Bible, quote, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Come on, come on. Samuel 15. Let me write that down. I forgot all about that scripture, child. Samuel 15, 23. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. All those who follow the ancient and old religion, refusing to be dominated or dichotomized by Father God ideology, are defined as evil rebels belonging to the devil and are to be put to death according to God's will. In the Bible, for the first time we see God's will, i.e. the male primate, will to control female production, reproduction used as a political tool to crush believers of other religions, women's religions. The, fa- the fanatic misogyny of both Christianity and Islam originated, as did both of these religions, in the Bible. Or as women of women's movements of the 1970s said, quote, you are a witch by being female, untamed, angry, joyous, and immortal, end quote. The Wiccan nature or witchcraft is the original nature of all women, deriving from our primary biological experience, our psychic relationship with the earth and the cosmos. It is this experience, this relationship, that patriarchy sets out to destroy. But women cannot change our nature. We can only try to forget it, repress it, or follow it under constant threat of punishment by the dominating male order. About a modern day, about a modern day African witch, it is said, quote, if she is lucky enough that her psychic powers are quiescent, then she can live a normal life. There is a constant fear among her husband's relatives that she will use her powers to revenge her humiliating situation as wife. Isolated as she is among hostile strangers, and the patriarchal land and the patriarchal family removed by patriarchal custom from her own matri- from her own maternal kin group, with quiescent psychic psychic powers. Of course, any woman's normal life is one of submission. In parts of the west coast of Africa, tribes renamed uh, tribes remained matriarchal until well into the 10th century. When forced into patriarchal organizations from the outside through Islamic invasion, many African women chose to run away with uh, run away with Muslim slave traders rather than become wives. Oh, my God. So. Woo, child. So the witch alive under patriarchy is always under suspicion for having caused sterility of her husband or death disease, and bad luck among her in-laws, or bad weather, or bad crops, or in more fundamentalist situations, she is always under suspicion as a willful, willful seductress of good men, and as a tool of evil nature, or the devil, designed by death and darkness to undermine and destroy what men call their civilization. Her genuine range and depth of creative powers are denied and forbidden. She lives in a man-made situation where she can only use her negative powers. And for that, she is punished and damned. Patriarchy sets her up as the universal scapegoat for all problems imagined or real, thus removing from all men in her vicinity the terrible burden of thought. During the 500 years of Inquisition, representing the triumph, representing the triumph Of Christian imperialism over pagan Europe, a woman could either become a a totally subservient wife, beaten and bullied by her husband, her eyes to the ground as priests and preachers condemned and blamed her sex for all things, or she could stand straight, proud in her own woman wisdom, and be burnt as a witch. Chapter 35, Goddess of the Witches. Diana Artemis, goddess of the witches, was the great goddess of the legendary Amazons, the wise women the, and women warriors of ancient Thrace, Macedonia, uh, Macedonia, North and West Coast Africa, Lib- uh, Libya. She was queen of heaven, the pure huntress of the moon and the protectress of wild animals, She was a lesbian, scornful of men, and her followers were young women. She, No man could enter her temple. As the moon, she rides the clouds, very cool, untouched by man, filling the nights with psychic brilliance. But she was also Asiatic Artemis, the orgiastic and many-breasted mother of all. In this form, she was honored at the Temple of Artemis at, at Ephesus, built by the Amazons and considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. And after this temple was destroyed by fire, Amazons built it up again. In her third form, she was Hecate, dark goddess of the night sky, giver of plagues and sudden death. Hecate worshipped at midnight at the crossroads. Her cult had major Bronze Age centers throughout the Mediterranean at Marcellus, Syracuse, and Ephesus. Her temple at Ephesus was built by Amazon circa 900 BC. After destruction by fire, it was rebuilt by another generation of women warriors. This temple was in the beehive shape. And at this beehive temple, Dianic rites were conducted by... um, by melissal priestesses, worker bees, and self-castrated Essene priests, drones. Here was the famous image of Black Diana, a small shrine on her head, a diapet, contained a magic stone, possibly a very old Neolithic implement, This statue was smashed into pieces in 400 by a Christian who boasted that he had finally torn down the demon Diana. In Rome, Diana was the protectress of the uh, Plebeians and in particular the guardian of slaves, outlaws, and thieves. Her temple stood in their city quarters, um, the Aventine. Roman slaves celebrated Diana's festival in mid-August which is also the sacred festival day of Hecate and of the Irish triple goddess Brigid. to the Christians, Diana, the moon, Diana, the moon was the devil incarnate. Uh, ninth century church fathers in Europe condemned deluded women who believe that the believe that in the dead of night, they ride upon certain beasts with Diana or with the witch queen Herodias and fly through, fly through the sky among multitudes of women. Long into the Renaissance, she was imaged as a terrible demon. Christians sometimes called the devil Lucifer. Lucifer, the light bearer, was in early legend Diana's twin brother, the morning star. The morning star, also the evening star, is Venus, which along with the moon was observed with very accurate calculations by ancient astronomers worldwide. To the Aztecs, it was Quetzalcoatl. To the Mayans, it was, uh, Kukulan, Kukulkan. To the Sumerians and the Babylonians, it was in, uh, in Anna Ishtar. Whenever Christians encountered astronomical, astrological observations and texts on Venus and the moon, they saw only devil worship. Hence, they destroyed library after library containing ancient wisdoms and knowledge, including the Mayan astronomical um Library at Mani, as well as the Library of Alexandria. Mayan astronomical knowledge was probably the most advanced advanced in the ancient world. They invented the zero long before the Arabs did. In 1552, the Spanish friar Diego de, La, de Landa, confronting all these texts containing Mayan intellectual brilliance, as well as spiritual data, stated that, that they contained nothing in which there was not To be seen superstitions and lies of the devil. And so we burned them all. Early Christian smashing of Dianic cults in the Mediterranean, as well as, as later church persecutions of witches in Europe must be seen in this global context. Wherever Christians saw knowledge, herbal, medical, astronomical, symbolical, they saw demonism and moved to destroy it. The witch persecutions were not simply aimed at devil worshippers, but at ancient human knowledge of the world. Another group of Amazons and witch women was centered around what we now know is Morocco and northwest Africa. They called their moon huntress goddess Anatha, and a name related to the Egyptian goddess Neith and the Greek Athena. The Amazon tribes in this area were called Gorgons. One of their queens was named Medusa, and their warrior goddess um, Athana, and their warrior goddess Athana wore the original legendary agis, a goatskin chastity tunic along with a gorgon mask and a leather pouch containing a sacred serpent. Probably all Amazons, moon women, wore these magic belts, and any man who removed one without the wearer's consent would be killed. Oh, shit. The Greek legends of heroes slaying the Gorgon and the snake-haired Medusa could derive from actual battles fought by patriarchal Greek soldiers against these women's cultures, just as Greek males fought. Macedonian Amazonians on the Greek homeland. The Gorgon is a very moon-faced woman with her tongue stuck out, even though the later Athena became the goddess of the Greek patriarchal state. And in Greek drama was portrayed as siding with the new father right against the ancient mother goddess religion. Still, she always in her statues carries the Agis uh, with the Gorgon's head, on it as her shield Northwest African warrior women wearing a magic belt with a pouch suspended from it containing a sacred serpent sounds very close to the Dahamian goddess the black witch Lisa who was bisexual and carried a snake in her belly and to corroborate the legends that ancient matri- matriarchal Africans sailed to Central America, Frank Waters in Mexico Mystique mentions this interesting information. In the Mayan Temple of the Sun at Palenque, Pel- is carved a tablet identified by Pythagoreans as the Agis of Zeus, who stole it from Athena. This aegis shows the gorgon head with tassels of Homer described as Athena's shield, and it is backed by the carved numerals 77, the magic number of the Egyptian goddess Neith. The original witch was undoubtedly black, bisexual, a warrior, a wise and strong woman, also a midwife, also a leader of her tribe. The many faces of the moon. The nature of the goddess was in no way pale, meek, mild, or solely maternal or, or solely maternal one that has been associated with femininity in patriarchal culture. The goddess of unrestrained sexual love, Astarte, Ishtar, Astorath, Sibyl, was also associated with war and death, with natural magic and primal wildness. She was also a mother and a helper of women in childbirth. Under the Greco-Roman and Hebrew Christian patriarchy in the West, these many aspects were separated out into the good woman stereotype of the Virgin Mary versus the bad woman Eve. She was the love goddess or the good mother or the or the hag of death or the virgin huntress. But never again, the all it can be hard for us to remember that the original goddess was not a fixed dualism, but a revolving triplicity. A, a revolving triplicity. She of the moon. She of the moon changes. Whether she is seen as the benevolent mother of all living, or the goddess of bloody battle, or the death goddess, or the prophetic witch, uh, the attitude toward life in matriarchal society remains the same. All life is created out of the mother and is one with her. Therefore, no life can be taken without her permission. All life. uh uh-uh. All life blood belongs to her and must be returned to earth sacredly. Mm-mm-mm. And must be returned to her sacredly. Damn it. And so um, and so life can only be taken in the form of ritual individual sacrifice. This is how and why ritual sacrifice could occur among people who are were not bloody savages. They did not kill either at a logically rationalized distance by machine Ritual death happened up close by a living, bloody, and responsible hand. When the biblical Hebrews opposed ritual human sacrifice, they were on the right evolutionary track. Human beings needed to go beyond that, but to replace ritual individual sacrifice with mass random slaughter by mechanized weaponry in the ideological name of holy war or modern political war was no advance. At least the ancient ritualists knew what they were doing and took responsibility for each kill. Every human is born from a woman, and so in a society ruled by a council of older women meeting at night in the moonlight after the day's work is done, it was not possible to see human beings in terms of statistics and ideological units as so much raw material to be used and manipulated, as is the case in patriarchal societies. Sacrifice was voluntary and service was seen as mutual. And as among the American Iroquois, even the male war chief or chief of hunting was not free to make his own specialist decisions about life and death. He was bound to abide by the decisions of the Council of Women of the mothers of both life and death. Chapter 36, Crete and the Bronze Age. Crete was the last full flowering matriarchal culture. We are taught that Western civilization begins with Greece, but in fact, the imagination of the Greeks came from Crete. All Greek religious ritual, all Greek mythology was Cretian My, uh, Mycenaean origin. Rites performed at the, at, Uly- at Ulysses, or uh, Ulysses, <laughs> um, in utter secrecy, or in earlier Crete, celebrated in sacred groves. The ecstasy cult of Dionysus originated in Crete. It was the cult of the great goddess, Lady of the Beasts, surrounded by her wild dancing women. Later, as Bacchantes. These ivy-chewing women performed the death and resurrection ritual of her son, Dionysus Bacchus. Most of the later famous Greek goddess originated in Crete. In fact, the whole progress of classical Greek mythology involved breaking down the one the original great goddess into her many aspects and stereotyping these into partial goddesses that we have come to know. Aphrodite, the love goddess, Athena, the goddess of wisdom, Demeter, the mother, Persephone, the daughter, Artemis, the the virgin huntress, Hecate, the death crown. In these partial forms, the goddesses were often set at war with each other. Come on. Y'all act like you hear what I'm saying. They were set at war with each other. Oh, my God. Okay, they were set at war with each other, as in the Trojan legend when Paris was asked to choose. Which of the three, Hera, Athena, or Aphrodite, was the most beautiful? His choice precipitated a war. This story is a paradigm of how the Greek male mind in the rising patriarchy played with women and with the ancient goddess, breaking her into fragments and then setting the fragments against each other in jealous bickering. Greek mythology is full of this intellectual game, revealing the detachment of the Greek mind from what had been once seen as sacred. Under the original great mother religion this fragmentation could not happen for each different face of the goddess was recognized as an aspect of the one being the great goddess of Crete is familiar statues show her standing a fla- standing in a flounced skirt with bare breasts ecstatic holding up coiling snakes in both hands. She was worshipped among early agricultural peoples of the Mediterranean region and Southwest Asia. In Northwest Coast Africa, she was called Name. Her cult, her cult was perhaps carried to Crete in ancient times by Anatolian settlers from the Asiatic mainland, or it might have originated in Africa or in Thrace. The wonderful flounced skirt was worn by both Maltese and Sumerian goddess, by the, by the Maltese and Sumerian goddess. The Cretan goddess is one with the Ephesian Artemis the many-breasted, with Ishtar of Babylon, the triple goddess Morgan of Ireland, with the Maralisa of the black witch carrying the snake in her belly, with the great mother of the Paleolithic caves. She almost always appears with serpents, with bare breasts, with the moon, She was the first god always one. The great goddess kept her supremacy throughout the Mediterranean, the Aegean, Turkey, and the Near East, Northwest Africa, and Europe through the Neolithic times until the very end, the Bronze Age, in changing form. She survived into the rise of the high civilization of Crete when a form of class society developed based on a palace culture of advanced technology, but still patterned on the matrilineal family. There are no figures of male gods in all of Cretan culture, even until the uh, predominantly patriarchal warring priest ridden world of the Bronze Age. The Cretans, unlike most of their contemporaries, had no temple or temple figures. Their sanctuaries were in the countryside. They worshiped among the sacred trees. And even as they celebrated the birth of a young male god, Dionysus, in the birth cave, he was always known as the son of the great mother. These rites involved hiding and protecting him from the cannibalistic wrath of the neighboring father god who saw him as a rival for power. Dionysus was raised among women Dressed as a woman, as an ecstatic shaman, and he represents the naturally androgynous nature of the true son who identifies with the mother. As, G., as G. Rachel Levy wrote, the, the Cretians quote, developed a religion unusually detached from formal bonds, but emotionally binding in its constant endeavor to establish communion with the elemental powers. Perhaps this was the reason why they never built temples, but performed their performed their rites through the most splendid epochs of their of their material achievement on mountain peaks in caves in household chapels and rustic shrines. Their ritual remained primitive, preserving its relations with ca- with cavern pillar, goddess, and tree so that they could draw profoundly on the path and and bequeath something fundamental to their more intellectual successors, end quote. The Cretans appear to have been gentle, joyous, sensuous, and peace-loving. From the evidence of ruins, they maintained, like the Maltese Islanders, at least 1,000 years of culture unbroken by war, the only other peoples we know of with such a long peace record, i.e. those of the Indus Valley and southern India, were also mother goddess cultures. In Crete, the uncovering of the beat of the breast was a sacred gesture. The uncovering of the breast was a sacred gesture, symbolizing the nourishing life stream of the mother. The goddess was the one whose godhead single in essence, but of many forms, with varied rites under many names, the whole earth reveres. In later times her young her young son emerges as a deity, the leader and embodiment of the war dancing cur- uh, curates or Uh, Corbantes. All the Cretan rites included ecstatic dancing and mystery, and in the uh, Dionysian rituals, these trance-inducing activities were not intended to prepare actual warriors, but to defend the spirit of of the mother's young son from the rising patriarchy. At first, the Indo-European sky god Zeus was identified with the young Cretan god. Zeus was introduced into Greek Mycenae, uh, Mycenaean mythology by nomadic pastoral invaders from the north called Aryans by some historians. They could have they could have, have they could have come from Russia, from the Russia steep, from the Russia steppes. Among Greeks, Zeus was first seen as a serpent god, a consort of the goddess and a manifestation of her power in reliefs and seals. He was imaged as a serpent. When the young Zeus Dionysus was born and concealed in a Cretan cave on Mount Ida, the holy rite of the new birth involved all of the people in celebration. Carates danced and beat their shields, figure eight-shaped uh, eight shields ornamented with serpents and spirals to help save the child from his devouring father. Mm. His devouring father bent on secular power. All this was an accepted part of Greek mythology, but influenced by the social, uh, the solar cult and um, Apollonian rationalism. Classic Greeks elevated the sacrificial son to Olympian immortality, just as early Christians were to do with Jesus. Eventually, the story of Zeus's birth and death in in the Cretan cave as the son of the great mother was denied as heresy by the Greeks. There is a striking difference between the colorful flowing, curving, colorful, colorfully flowing and curving wall paintings and pottery ornaments of the Cretans and those of the Bronze Age Babylonian palaces and huge temples, all bearing angular rigid and aggressive scenes of warfare enslavement and the hunt these babylonian architectures were setting a new patriarchal standard to the world Uh, the world was soon to follow but whatever is gracious and beautiful in greek art derived not from patriarchal style but from the early cretians at the service of the great mother, of, uh, at the service of the great mother of Mount uh, Cytheron on Crete, the whole of creation, the whole of creation, was believed to stir, live, and dance. The great mother's mountain flame was kept alive by nymphs in torchlight, dancing and winding mountain processions. There was a ritual feast of raw flesh and a long magical sleep of initiation in the cave a visionary trance and rebirth. Funerary rites expressed the, con- the concept of rebirth through the mother. Blood sacrifice of the bull was performed by priestesses with the ceremonial labors. The palaces contained pillar crypts where offerings were made, and the pillar as a symbol of the goddess was anointed with perfumed oils. In the low, dimly lit throne room of N- N- Gnosis were stone basins, and the throne was flanked by griffin murals. The, the Palace of Gnosis is a vast labyrinth in its design. Labyrinth means the hall of double axes, the ceremonial axe of the, of the goddess. Preaching art and religion were a vivid celebration of life. The goddess was joyously worshiped as the Lady of the Beast. Reliefs, paintings, Frescoes and countless seals depict her on mountaintops, surrounded by her wild, anim- wild animals, carrying magic snakes, snakes in her uplifted arms. And Cretan homes, walls and ceilings were lavish with flowing lines and bright curves, plants and flowers, birds and forest animals and sea creatures, purple octopi. Cretans were mariners traveling and trading as far as Scandinavia, Ireland, Syria, and Northwest Africa. Traces of their art and influence were carried over the seas. They worshiped cowrie shells and other vulva-like sea sea shapes of the goddess. These sea spirals and convolutions were universal symbols of female creation and organic growth of eternal continuity and change. The cowrie in Africa retained its symbolic value into the patriarchal times being used as money. In Buddhist Tantra, spiral shells are symbols of the root of the root mantra om. No one knows what happened to Crete. Its brilliant millennium of matricultural, matri, matriarchal culture ended suddenly and mysteriously with no clear sign of a cause. There is no evidence of war or invasion. Some believe it ended in an earthquake or flood. Robert Graves speculates that Crete was the legendary Atlantis. The Bronze Age marks a revolution in social organization. There was a break with the religion of the megalith builders. The great goddess still ruled, but no longer supreme. Her son lover became more and more a dominating war god, a father god taking over some of her functions and powers as his busy priest remade old mythologies into his new image. In this, they had help of alphabets and script writing invented by women of goddess cultures. The transition from matriarchal to patriarchal organization seems to have come about in Mesopotamia Mesopotamia, as elsewhere through the political social revolt of the queen's consorts. She traditionally conferred executive powers on him by allowing him to adopt her names, robes and sacred instruments and regalia. For example, the widespread custom of the king wearing artificial breasts and long robes, acting as a sacred agent of the goddess. the crown on his head was the crown of birth from the goddess uh, from the goddess, as babies are still known to crown. At birth, when the king revolts against his sacred role in order to exploit the secular power of the matriarchal domain, the mother goddess religion begins to be distorted. We see the rise of the father god as secular male usurpation of social, political and economic power, as well as a rewriting of all the old mythologies. With the decay of matriarchal cultures, the mystery rites lost their pristine significance as female participation in a female universe. The relation of women worshippers to the young male god grown from the goddess's infant son to an adolescent to a war god changes. The relation of son to mother becomes misconstrued as that of a lover to a bride, then a dominating lord to a servant. And the wild women dance companions of the androgynous Dionysus are legalized into submission, becoming weak and fawning followers of a macho warrior godhead or a crucified Christ who denies the mother. Mm. <laughs> There was an era before the patriarchal revolution took effect when women and men cooperated in equality, producing and creating and worshiping together. The son of the mother was her mature lover and mate. Whenever the wherever the worship of the great mother occurred, ritual emphasis was on the sacredness of life. Sexual union fuses the separate emanations of the divine. Oh, my God. Of the divine. And so sexual rights, worship and ceremonial union, not to be confused with fertility rites were a part of her mysteries everywhere. The hero's gamos, sacred marriage between a high priest representing the goddess and the sacrificial year king, later permanent king, is how is, however, no older than circa 6500 B.C. to our knowledge the idea of a sacred mating between new initiates and the ritual priestess or priest still live among some, some witches with patriarchy, the ceremonial view of sexual union ends. Patriarchy is based on secular, not sacred relationships and on property possession, which utterly excludes the existence of ecstatic communion. It is also of course, based on the sexual passivity, weakness, and, and dependence of women, the sacred marriage becomes the ugly business of domination and humiliation between the sheets or in the harem, the male paradise filled with sexual slaves. And now, the sacred relation of mother-child is closed indoors, psycho- uh, psychologized, um, and publicly diminished as the child comes to be viewed like the wife as a part of the father's property neither having social, economic, or political rights except through him. With patriarchy, we are in the world of male display with males strutting and boasting before each other and women and children, as well as religious and cultural artifacts existing solely as material items in the assembled wealth. Chapter 37. This is the last chapter for today. Tantra uh, Tantra and the world spine. What remains? Many real things. Witchcraft in the Western world, our indigenous goddess religion. In the East, in Tantra yoga, and to some degree, Taoism, survive some of the ancient matri- matriarchal beliefs, techniques, and ritual worship. The female energy symbolism used by, used by the Tantrika, the vulva, caves, the earth, the community of women, can be traced back to the Paleolithic cave culture of 30,000 BC. Probably in ancient times, the special potency of Tantra was transmitted through a female line of power holders, a mysterious sect of women called the Vat, Vat, Vatra Vatyas. This female transmission of tradition would account for the way in which female energy symbolism has survived in later religions, such as Tibetan Buddhism and Brahmanical uh, monastic Tantra, which are otherwise male-oriented in their dogma and not at all likely to have discovered the female principles for themselves. All such transmission was bound to have happened entirely outside the Hindu caste the Hindu caste system, which depends on strict adherence to patriarchal rule for its existence. The Sanskrit word for caste, vara, means color. The Hindu concept of lawlessness originally meant the corruption of women, which was believed to lead to social chaos and caste mixture. So female tantric practitioners and transmitters would have been outcast, pariah, and considered defiling as sexual partners. The Tantra was originally matriarchal, emerging from and belonging to the collective, classless early goddess society of the Dravidians. India was invaded circa 3000 BC by the lighter-skinned Aryans or Indo-Europeans from the north who went on to conquer the darker-skinned matriarchal agricultural Dravidians ending at least 1,000 years of peaceful cultural development in southern India. The Aryans called themselves the people of the sky, i.e. inherently light, good, superior, and mighty. And the dark-skinned dravids, they called, the people of the earth or of the serpent, inherently dark, evil, weak, inferior, etc., Danu, or Diti, the great goddess of the non-Aryan dravids, was the cow goddess of India. She was undoubtedly related to the European goddess Danu, who gave her name to the Russian river Don, to the German Danube, and was the goddess of the Irish um, Tuatha de Danan. In Indian mythology, she was murdered by the god Indra, who overthrows cities, he who overthrows cities, was the god of the invaders. Danu and her son, Virta, are first described as serpent demons, later as they lie dead as cow and calf. After Indra's murder of Danu, it was said that the cosmic waters flowed and were pregnant with her blood, Giving birth to the son of the new patriarchal order and the Brahmanic elite and its Brahmanic elite. Damn. Following this conquest over the ages, the male Aryans established the caste system, the most powerful among them establishing themselves as the light Brahmin class at the top. They placed tight restrictions on the women in order to preserve their own racial purity, property line, and privilege through the patriarchal family. Purda, Women's imprisonment in the domestic sphere and harems of wives were introduced later by the Muslims. The priestly Brahmin caste caste, presided over the temples and ritual worship and laws of hierarchic social conduct. A Brahmin was considered pure and to maintain his purity, he had to be protected from all other work. The next class, the warriors, were good for nothing but war. The work of society was carried out by the lower caste and by the untouchables whose duty it was to empty the latrines and to do the cleaning. The untouchables were the original dark-skinned matriarchal Dravidians in this new uh, patriarchal order assigned the role of the housemaid or the wife. Brahmins are called the twice-born, i.e. reborn out of the father. This is the aim of men's initiation rites all over the world to incorporate the boy child into the world of the fathers while exercising all memory of the child's bond with the mother. A bond that is both erotic and mystical and thus a challenge to established power. The Indian mystic um, Rabindranath Tagore spoke often of the Shakti power of the female. Quote, in our language, we call women's power over men Shakti. If Shakti disappears, the creative force in society is inhibited. The men lose their virility and become mechanical in their habits. End quote. He believed that the relation between the sexes in India under patriarchal religion was was so distorted that the Shakti power could not function. Distinguished contemporary Tantrika have stated their belief that many of the miseries in modern India are caused by the world hatred that traditional Brahmin philosophers have instilled into the majority of the population. World hatred is designed to make people accept miserable condi- miserable conditions and injustice as though these were functions of life itself rather than specific results of specific man-made systems such as the caste and in India. Come on. Ooh, come on. Come on. Oh, my God. A good deal of India's suffering, like that of most of the world, results from Western imperialism and exploitation of native labor and resources. But such Indian problems as child marriage, dowry murders, and the ritual burning of widows cannot be blamed on modern European imperialism. The burning alive of so many young brides by husbands' families dissatisfied with dowry payments comes directly from patriarchal religions, devaluation of women into property. Dowry murder among lower caste Indians seems to have replaced the longstanding custom of, uh, suti, now illegal, uh, now illegal, um, which was practiced by the wealthier upper classes. Why? In suti custom, which is, um, widow burning, in suti custom with the, uh, immolation of the widow on her husband's funeral pyre, The Brahmin priesthood inherited, oh my God, the Brahmin priesthood inherited all the worldly property of the couple. Mm -mm -mm. Thus, no upper class wealth or land could ever pass into the hands of women the same way, the land and goods of every European burned as a heretic or witch during five centuries of inquisition passed directly into the hands of the Christian church. That was a lot of property, much of it still held by the various denominations. Thus does the patriarchal priesthood consolidate earthly domains. It's earthly domains. Living traces of the ancient aboriginal matriarchal people can still be found in India. The Per the purja of the south still do not farm on, still do not farm the soil, but only burn wood and sow, um, and burn wood and sow, um, burn wood and sow in ashes, sow in ashes. Perja women, w- hmm, interesting. Uh, purja women wear no veils and remain Proud, sexually free, and strong. The matriarchal Nair people of uh, Kerala in southern India enjoy high culture, no poverty, no prostitution. They practice gift exchange economy and are noted for their highly educated and active women. The Indian women's art of yogic massage, practiced on babes from one month and small children, originated in Kerala. It has been handed down through generations of women. In this massage, the left hand is the dynamic energy. The right hand is static energy. The exercises require great strength and sensitivity. The, woman's, the women's hands joined with controlled breathing, communicating intelligence, dignity, freedom, power, and tenderness. The cosmic dance emerging from the rhythmic movement, a silent dialogue of love and union between mother and child, is designed to open the child's joints and release the sensuous power of life. This is done by all animal mothers, in fact, when they lick their newborns intensely immediately after their birth. The sexual misers and misogynists of Buddhism practicing a secret and dangerous self-indulgence in the form of spiritual nihilism, leading to institutionalized sadism, neglect, and the hatred of of their fellow creatures are very similar to the patriarchal monastery Monastic Christian world of the European Middle Ages. Both terrible worldviews show the fallacy involved in any assertion of the nature of being, Brahma or Christ God, which fails to take into account, first of all, that which is and its relation to human life. The nihilistic incapacity to say yes instead of no comes from the incapacity to recognize the female principle at the source of all being. The the Tantrika, on the other hand, teach that pleasure, vision, and ecstasy should be cultivated and used by all, not suppressed and, and damned, not hoarded for the corrupt thrills of a few. Tantra proclaims that all things, the crimes and pains, as well as the joys and benefits of life, are the active play of the female creative principle, the goddess of many forms, sexually penetrated by an invisible, indescribable, seminal male. The Tantrika used prolonged acts of ecstatic meditation and sexual union with a partner. They use uh, lethargies, mantras, inner visualizations, yogic postures, and manipulation of the joined female and male energies. The goddess is perceived as the energy which makes real the outer and inner worlds. The complementary images of object and subject spinning them out from the still center as a spider spins a web from her body into the open space of being. In tantric thought, creation is time. The goddess in her function as measurer, Maya, men's moon, weaves the substance of events in time just as she does in space. Time is the field of the goddess's play. While manifest in form, she is also potential energy and yet unrealized. In this sense, she is void, the void, because what contains everything specific cannot be in itself specific. Yet this voidness is not the Brahmanic abstraction of being, uh, abstraction of being, which is presented as somehow superior to immersion in life. Brahmins preach that the psychic lunar body is these trans, is to be transcended. That all formal consciousness is to be transcended and despised. Such an attitude carried about by real men in the position of dominating real life can be, can be devastating. The void of the goddess is the real energy potential of the as yet unmanifest. And it is the ultimate relation of union relation, or union of all manifest energies. The individual consciousness is released from the prison of dualism through realizing that she, he, is one with both principles. Tantra exists in a patriarchal world, however, and has for a long time, and so its doctrine has been accordingly modified. Today, it believes that the ultimate still center is not the yoni of the female, but the self-originated ling- uh, lingam, male seed. Oh, sh- oh, 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 oh. tantrika say that the lingam, uh, the lingam conveys into all Kali's play activity, the seed of being hidden beyond and within. Originally, though, there is no doubt that the still center of the universal spiral is as it always was, the female yoni, the womb tomb of the great goddess. And there is no doubt that the origin of energy is the spiraling kundalini serpent who lives in the human spine, the sexual energy that powers flight. Many Westerners have turned to India for the study of tantra and the kundalini power because here, the ancient techniques have been most completely retained. Was there ever anything like them in the West, indigenous people to Western people? The answer is yes, because the same goddess ruled all. The Dravidian Danu was the Irish Danu. The Indian Kali was called the Kali, uh, uh, the Irish Kali, both portrayed sitting in the lotus posture, as William Urban Thompson points out, quote, the religion of the Upper Paleolithic is not, is not simply the parochial superstitions of one tribe. It is the first universal religion and its universality as the iconic system based upon the mysteries of menstruation and a lunar count cal- and a lunar calendar cuts across cultures with different languages or toolkits. It is a universal religion whose range of influence even, uh, even in the Upper Paragord Paragordian extends from Spain to Central Asia, to Central Asia. By the time of the Neolithic, it had diffused throughout Africa and Eurasia, end quote. And by the Middle Neolithic, at least it had everywhere developed techniques of ecstasy and illumination. Some of these techniques, especially related to shamanism and drug use, were kept alive by European k- paganism and witchcraft. Others can be reconstructed and revived through the study of kundalini yoga and tantric techniques, while remaining dubious of the patriarchal doctrines that have accumulated around them. The ancient holism must be reconstructed in our own minds, by our own minds, uh, in our own minds, by our own minds, helped by historic knowledge and imagination. Remember, the snake and bird goddess worshipped as early as 6500 B.C. throughout Southeastern and Central Europe. To the later patriarchal Indo-European pastoral nomads, the earth was the receptive great mother corresponding to their active sky father. But the Neolithic agricultural matriarchal people had created the original maternal image composed of both water and air divinities as well as earth the snake, and bird goddess, a three-part totality. Who is she? She was the three-part human brain. She was the three-part human brain. She was the world tree, the world spine, with the snake and the bird as the lower and upper symbols. Let's see what with the upper. Okay, she was okay. She was the up. She was the three part human brain. She was the world tree, the world spine with the snake and the bird as the lower and upper symbols where they appear. It understood that the arousal of the Kundalini up the spine through the chakras, connects them. In Mediterranean and European imagery, the divine child, or the green child, was the reborn energy created in this mystic magical process. This reborn energy was imaged as the cub of the wild bear mother, the baby snake or the baby bird of the snake and bird goddess. The green child Reborn psychic energy was not reared by the Earth Mother, but by the wild goddess Artemis. European paganism, like all others, always understood natural wildness as a spiritual energy. The clue to illumination. Religious techniques is not meant to tame this energy with moralism, but to channel it with creative understanding, which comes from the human neocortex. Variations of the snake and bird goddess appear everywhere, even in places we might not at first recognize. Their universal similarities are not accidental, but the evidence of a universal idea, a universal recognition. In India and China, the world tree is the lotus. In Mexico and Central America, it is the jungle tree topped with the bird. Quetzalcoatl, the Aztec god of learning and peace, was imaged as a feathered serpent winding about a world tree. Quote, to teach the snake how to rise up the trunk to become a bird or plumed serpent. A Quetzalcoatl is how yoga was expressed in ancient Mexico, end quote. The Mayan Colcucan um, was the same. Both gods were Venus, the morning and the evening star. In Egypt, in the religion of Isis and Osiris, kundalini rising up the spine is symbolized by the raising Jed pillars of Osiris. As Thompson notes in Gnosticism also, the mind is called serpent formed. There was... There was a universal recognition symbolized in all snake tree bird iconographies that human mind is not fully activated until the serpent energy is brought up the world tree spine to flood the brain with illumination. The energy of the reptilian dream brain powers the soaring bird of the neocortex. If it doesn't, the neocortex's function, of uh, the neocortex Function only as an intellectual mechanism. Oh, 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 oh! And all these symbols is a gener- is a, a genetic memory of evolution and evidence of the ancient people's worldwide knowledge of yoga techniques. Quote: What is expressed in the lotus, the plumed serpent, or the staff of Osiris is the yogi's knowledge of the three brains of man. <sighs> my God. Except that the techniques were developed by women, devotees of their own processes of the world's first and universal religion. It is women, remember, whose brains are evolutionarily structured to experience sexual and spiritual illumination as one. <sighs> oh my God. Oh my god. This is what the snake and serpent goddess meant, symbolized. And the Thracian maidens and all other legendary schools of priestesses in service to the goddess were guardians of these original yogic shamanic techniques. In pagan Scandinavia, shamanism called Jed was originally practiced by the priestesses of Freya, and they wore magic bird costumes belonging to her. With these, they flew into other realities. And on the cavern ceiling of the Paleolithic halls of hieroglyphs at uh, Pec Merle, France, um, are the images of three dancing women. Two are headless. One has the stylized head of a bird. She has been called by art historian Siegfried Gadeon, the earliest known representation of the fusion of a human being with an animal. The consistency and ancientness of these images of ecstatic dancing and the pulling of the serpentine bio-mystical energies up the human spine to achieve wings or illuminated consciousness argues for an intuitive knowledge of shamanic yogic techniques among earliest ancestors. They were the techniques of the religion of the great mother. Thompson describes how these techniques were desecrated by the literalism of male priesthoods in service to secular power. Quote, In the yoga of Quetzalcoatl, the initiate spoke of the opening of the heart to the light of the sun. And what was meant by this was the opening of the chakras in the subtle body as Aztec priests took esoteric words, literally ripping out the victim's physical heart and holding it up to the sun. Such a grotesque literalist misreading of esoteric spiritual text is at the heart of fundamentalist fanaticism in all religions and of all holy wars. In ancient Mexico, the priests conducting mass heart ripping sacrifices day after day were no longer in service, needless to say, of individual spiritual illumination. They were trying to keep a giant patriarchal religious military machine running using buckets of blood as fuel, using the fearful resignation of the people as fuel. Oh, 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 oh my God. Y'all ain't heard. Oh my God. (laughs) y'all ain't heard y'all are not listening okay I know you're not listening because I ain't got a man out this bitch once you understand I ain't got it I ain't got it I know y'all do not hear the channeling that is happening through this reading on this day such a grotesque literalist Misreading of esoteric spiritual text is at the heart of fundamentalist fanaticism in all religions and of all holy wars. In ancient Mexico, the priests conducting mass heart ripping sacrifices day after day were no longer in the service of individual spiritual illumination. They were trying to keep a giant patriarchal religious military machine running using buckets of blood as fuel, using the fearful resignation of the people as fuel. Bronze Age priesthoods throughout the Near East, the Mediterranean, and Europe entered upon the same grotesque project. As patriarchal governmental, military, and architectural systems grew into gigantic edifices of stone representing secular power, Crazed priests called for blood, sacrifice, castration in the name of the terrifying aspects of the Great Mother. They began to rule by fear alone, their own fears stimulating the fears of the multitudes. In atmospheres of mass fear, mass human sacrifice begins to take a kind of numbing sense. The real fear is stimulated by buildup of secular power, signalized by military power in the hands of a human elite. People tend to respond to this um, uh, propitiating their gods by perpetuating their gods. Among the European Celtic peoples, the Druid priesthood inherited the magic shamanic techniques, as well as the alphabet of the earlier goddess religion. They organized a spiritual technology that involved transcendent power for themselves alone, and so violated the cosmic law of the mother, which demands recycling on all levels, including the spiritual. Under threat of Roman invasion and the breakup of their world by uh, their world, the Druid priests, like the Aztecs, ended up performing more and more bloody mass sacrifice with less result. Oh my god. With the Indo-European infiltration of Southern and Central Europe, circa 4000 BC, the snake and bird goddess begins to disappear. (sighs) Mm -mm -mm. Her triple aspect disappears. Her sky aspect disappears. The mother is deprived of her ancient bisexual nature as shamanism and bisexuality always go together. This means the disappearance of the shamanic techniques or their absorption into the new male dominance religion as secret power tools of a ruling elite. The snake tree bird goddess, the multidimensional she of water, earth, and air becomes under the patriarchal Indo-Europeans, the mono-dimensional gay flat on her back, passive receptacle of male seed earth mother who never flies and the magic dies during the long millennia of upper paleolithic and neolithic uh, of the upper paleolithic and neolithic our human ancestors led by women developed communal meditation techniques which led to individual knowledge and experience of human sacri- psychic powers the agricultural buildup of the mid-Neolithic, increasingly complex settlement and specialization. These techniques and powers became increasingly secret knowledge of a spiritual elite, a priesthood, just as the Neolithic increase of material abundance gave rise to a ruling secular elite, a palace royalty. Y'all, Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Spiritual... He, the takeover of goddess worship spirituality directly coincided and these emerging new priesthoods that held a hegemony over women's power simultaneously emerged with what we are now calling class systems, caste systems that have their origin in the um, the um, the uh what's the word I'm looking for? The exploitation of labor they emerged and evolved side by side okay come on the spiritual question is a political question is a social question is a historical question the this combined royal priestly elite armed with the new class of professional warriors saw clearly How this communal wealth of humanity, the earthly abundance, and the spinal spiritual knowledge could be appropriated and exploited for the elite's advantage and toward the profitable enslavement of the masses. Y'all ain't heard. Mm -mm. Y'all can't be heard. This is the origin of the cragmire that we are currently existing in. The Bronze Age represents this elite co optation of communal female invention by the male few in power. Royalty, priests, warriors, and other specialists, God, man, and other specialists took the life technologies, arts, symbols, yogic, shamanic techniques, and total agricultural wealth developed by the female collective by thousands of generations of human cooperation and exploration and absorbed them into the new patriarchal class system with the king and the priest at the top. Guarded by the professional warriors who begin systematically to visit. The wrath of God, i.e. the religious plunder, rape, and conquest on the masses of newly disinherited and powerless common people, i.e. those who had once lived quite happily together in common, quote, war was declared on the human body with the emergence of patriarchal warrior societies in the Bronze Age, end quote. War was declared on the human body by declaring war on the female body on the reproductive bodies of women, on the fertile body of mother earth, on the body of knowledge and techniques accumulated by women over generations, just as universal just as universal legends tell of males banding together to steal fire from women who collectively discovered its magic uses, just as Pythagoras stole maintenance, trance knowledge of rhythm and math- uh, mathematical science to invent an objective number system used as a logical weapon against ancient female holism, just as just so the bronze age patriarchies stole the practical and spiritual inventions of the female sex and female God and turned them into power weapons, which have been used ever since to make the few rich and the many impoverished to give males a pathetic illusion of freedom via the enslavement of, of females, to give men the delusion of mental superiority via the total historical plundering of the female brain, to speak continuous slogans of progress and civilization while the entire human race is dragged evolutionarily backwards into the dominant submission systems of primates. The magic, sexual, spiritual techniques of the snake and bird goddess still remain on earth in traces, even though she is forgotten. Even the co-opted goddess Athena of classical Greece, though proclaimed motherless and reborn from the forehead of Zeus the father, still wore the magic bird wings and the sacred snake coils of ancient matriarchy, even though we no longer know what they mean in the time falling body the in the time falling bodies take to light Thompson refers to the male horror of returning woo, to the male horror of returning to the matriarchy of returning to female communal order of the past no matter how bad things get in the modern world it how much worse can they get men and women are still conditioned by all patriarchal political religious economic and cultural institutions to believe that humanity is much better off now than we ever were in the dark inchoate and anonymous read female past the christian essayist and novelist c.s lewis has defined this male nightmare in his in his fastidious words quote you might You might add that in the hive and in the anthill, we see fully realized the two things that some of us dread, some of us most dread for our own species, the dominance of the female and the dominance of the collective. Forgetting, of course, that the hive makes honey and that the female collective once made the world. that is the end of that chapter. So, that is the end of that section as well, which was women's culture and religion in Neolithic time. So, I will pick back up the reading, let's see, probably Sunday. Tomorrow's going to be a crazy busy day, so I'll probably pick up the reading on um Sunday where we will we will be entering into uh, section 4 and starting with chapter 38, uh, chapter, uh, section four is patriarchal culture and religion. Shit about to get deep as if it wasn't already. And the first chapter is God the Father. So thank you for those of you who tuned in. Um, if you enjoyed this reading, if you've been enjoying the reading of the book, um, please like, subscribe, share, and um, join me for the continued reading of The Great Cosmic Mother, Rediscovering the Religion of the Earth by Monica Zhu and Barbara Moore. Thank you so much. My name is Iapo Mouyande born Cassandra Floyd, also known as the Rogue Black Girl. And I will see you guys again on Sunday.